swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Joining me now on Extra Innings, you know him from his time with the Mariners, but he is now currently a TV analyst for Valley Sports Southwest with the Texas Rangers TV broadcast. One of the great utility men in Mariner history and definitely a fan favorite out here in the Northwest. We're talking to Mark McLemore right now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Mark, thank you so much for joining us and uh, I, I know a lot of people are going to be wanting to hear from you about the 01 Mariners. I mean, your time here in Seattle, but right now this Rangers team grabbed a lot of headlines in the offseason. What did you make of those huge signings of Marcus Semien and Corey Seager? I think they were great moves by the Rangers organization. Uh, those are two elite players uh, in the game right now, and it's a really good start to them getting back to uh, contention. Uh, you know, it's going to take more than those two moves, but I, I don't think they could have started, you know, this this revamp of this organization uh, with two better moves than that. Now, with those moves being made, what kind of message do you think that sent to the rest of the organization? Because the Rangers have kind of been in, you know, sort of spinning their tires a little bit over the last three or four seasons. You bring in two proven veterans, two all-star caliber players, and I mean, in Marcus Semien's case last year, nearly an MVP. Uh, What kind of message does that send to the rest of the Rangers organization? Uh, Well, um, I think it goes beyond just a message to the Rangers organization. I think this is a message to Major League Baseball. We're coming to win. We're wanting to win the World Series. That is our plan. That is our goal. And by by signing Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager, I think that puts everybody on notice. We're, we're trying to build. If we have to go out and, and, and get elite free agents, we'll do that. If we have to make trades, we'll do that as well. And hopefully they can they can bring some guys through the organization that uh, that can mix in there as well. You know, some homegrown talent. Uh, you know, they they uh, drafted Jack Leiter uh, last year, second pick uh, pitcher. Uh, son of uh, Al Leiter, and so far he's had a couple starts, and he looks pretty good. Now, I'm sure they're not going to rush him and count on him this year or probably even not even next year, but that's somebody that's going to be you know, up and coming for them that's going to be on the pitching mound, and that's where it all starts. It all starts on the mound, so they know they have to address that, and I think they'll be able to do that here uh, over the next couple of off-seasons. Joined right now by Mark McLemore, Rangers TV analyst for Valley Sports Southwest. And Mark, the Rangers involved in one of the uh, crazier moments of the early start of the season over this past weekend, playing the Angels. And Joe Madden walking Corey Seager with the bases loaded to force in a run. When you saw that decision made by Joe Madden, what was the first thing that ran through your mind? Because a lot of people, myself included, still very confused by that managerial decision. Don't be confused about it. It's plain and simple. He didn't want his he didn't want his club to you know give up a big inning. Uh, you know they were already down a run with Corey Seager coming up. He's got all the numbers uh, that you know from Corey Seager how how well he hits with the bases loaded. I believe it's like four twenty nine with the bases loaded. 
Uh, so why, you know, have to hit the ball in the gap and now all of a sudden you're down four runs or hit a grand slam and you're down five runs. So for me, I, I think he's got, you know, um, confidence in his personnel saying, okay, we'll walk Corey Seager. We'll go after, you know, the, the next batter up, a right-hander, and we've got a right-handed pitcher on the mound. So he's going with the odds in, the, in that situation. So it wasn't just one of those things for Joe Madden to make headlines. He was trying to keep his club from falling further behind because the guy at the plate is very dangerous with nobody on base, but especially dangerous with the bases loaded. Uh, Mark McLemore joining us right now. And, and Mark, you look at this Rangers team, not the necessarily household names that we saw from those Rangers teams at the end of uh, the twenty or the beginning part of the 2010s, Adrian Beltre, Elvis Andrus, all those names. But who are some names that maybe are a little under the radar of most baseball fans uh, who aren't necessarily following the Rangers nightly that you think people should start paying attention to? I think Taylor Hearn, uh, left-hand starter, uh, he, he's going to be somebody that the Rangers are going to count on on the mound. Uh, I also think Willie uh, Calhoun is somebody that uh, has had some injuries over the last couple of years. And, and when I say injuries, he was hitting the jaw by a pitch, um, and so he missed the majority of that season. Then he was hitting the forearm and broke his forearm. So it was those kind of injuries that has kept him out uh, pretty much the last couple of years. So I think uh, once he gets back in there, and he's back in there now, swinging the bat well. His numbers don't show it, but he's been hitting the ball on the screws and literally right at people since day one of spring training. So I think those are a couple of guys. I like Mitch Garver behind the plate. We got him from Minnesota in a trade. And so I think those uh, those few guys, I think they'll be able to contribute a lot, and I know the Rangers are counting on them to do that. You mentioned the catching position, Mitch Garver coming over in that trade from Minnesota where Isaiah kind of falefa was sent to the Twins. You also got Jonah Heim behind the plate, who Mariners fans last year I don't think took too kindly to as he had, what, two walk-off home runs against the Mariners. He also had a go-ahead double against them in the ninth inning earlier in the season. His flair for the dramatic left a lot of people here in the Northwest kind of shaking their heads every time the Rangers came to play the Mariners. Uh, what did you make of his ability to come through in the clutch last year, uh, especially against the Mariners? Well, I think Jonah Heim is going to be a very good player, and he's working toward that now. Last year he was a young player, came up with some big, timely hits. Uh, I like him behind the plate, and I actually like the two of them, uh, Mitch Garber and Jonah Heim, splitting time because one of the things that uh, Woody can do um, is have one DH and the other behind the dish. So he's got both of those big bats in there. But Jonah Heim, power hitter from both sides of the plate, he's a good signal caller. Uh, and, and pretty good defensively. So uh, I think this kid being young, coming up in those situations, especially last year, I think he likes doing that. He thrives in that. And so uh, I know he's looking forward to doing it again. Mark McLemore joining me on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. And, Mark, I don't know if you're quite aware how beloved you are here in the Northwest from your time with the Mariners. When you look up the definition of fan fan favorite, uh, at least amongst Mariners fans, you're right there in just your contributions to the 01 Mariners and that era of baseball here in Seattle. Uh, do you ever feel that love uh, being so far away in Texas? Is, is Do Mariners fans make it known to you uh, quite often how much you and, and th- that 01 team means to fans out here? 
They absolutely do. There are a lot of there are a lot of Mariners fans here uh, in Texas. I run into them all the time at the ballpark, and you know, yes, they talk about that old one team and what it means to them and and, and the city of Seattle. So, yeah, it's very humbling, and uh, I, I do like the fact that uh, people remember. And it's you know, for me, um, it's being able to give something. Uh, to people, get something back to the fans, and that's what that's what we tried to do. We were trying to play. Well, we were trying to win the World Series, but just knowing that we brought so much joy uh, to Seattle Mariners fans, uh, that's a good feeling for all of us, I'm sure. And speaking of that 2001 team, obviously one of the biggest stories of that ball club was Ichiro Suzuki's rookie season emerging as one of the best players in baseball, winning MVP that season. You were there in spring training when he first arrived. When you saw him take the field in Peoria that very first time, did you or or any of your teammates expect him to become the super-duper global superstar that he became during his long major league career? I think if anybody uh, had been able to um, predict that, I think everybody would have retired and started playing the lottery. (laughs) Um, No, there's no way that anybody could have thought Ichiro was going to be able to do what he did. Uh, And that includes Ichiro himself. Um, That's just not one of those things that you can predict. Could we tell that he was a good player? Yes, we saw that. Uh, Obviously, the Mariners wouldn't have brought him over here, but as time went on and we started getting into the season, I think people figured out uh, fairly quickly that he wasn't just a good player. He was a special player. Yeah, Ichiro going into the Mariners Hall of Fame this August, so be on the lookout for that at T-Mobile Park coming up this summer. Mark, any, I guess, stories that you may not have told about that 2001 team or any personalities on that team that maybe get overlooked because there's just so much that has been written, so much that has been said, so much that has been dissected about that ball club over the years. I feel like there's still some stuff that's left on the cutting room floor from guys who, like you, spent every day in that clubhouse. Just so many personalities on that roster. I'm sure there's a lot of memories you have of that time here in Seattle that uh, have, have really stuck with you throughout you know the the end of your playing career in your broadcasting career. Uh, yeah, I've got a million of those stories, uh, and I'm sure a lot of those have been told over the years. I'm sure I've told them. I'm not sure if there's anything that I that I haven't. Sh- well, no, I am sure. There's a lot that I haven't shared because all and all that will stay that way. But there's so much that I've shared with, with the public on what the season was like, what all those personalities were like, uh, what Ichiro, uh, Brett Boone, Mike Cameron, uh, Jeff Nelson, all those guys, Freddie Garcia, everybody, Dan Wilson, uh, John Olerud, everybody. Uh, it was just a special group uh, that really knew uh, what we were shooting for, what we were trying to accomplish. Uh, we were a team full of veteran players. We didn't really have that one superstar standout guy. We had a lot of stars. Don't get me wrong. We had a lot of stars, but not any superstars. Um, and it was just fun playing with those guys each and every day, getting to the ballpark, knowing knowing that we were going to win. That was That was our feeling. We were going to win every time we got to the ballpark. Uh, it was just a great feeling and a great time in my career. He is one of the great utility men in Mariners baseball history. Okay, he, I, got, I got, I got, I got to correct you on that. Okay, a utility, a utility player plays once a week. I played every day. Very a versatility fair. Versatility play is 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 much better. I may have played two, three, four, or five different positions. Some of those some of those games, I played three positions. 
the plane every day is different than a utility player. Well, one so of, I just have to clarify that. <laughs> one of the most beloved everyday players in Mariners history, Mark McLemore, joining us on Extra Innings. Mark, I really appreciate you joining me, and I uh, hope to see you out at the ballpark at some point this year, and uh, looking forward to uh, talking to you again, hopefully down the road. All right, anytime. Still plenty more to come in the final 45 minutes of this very first edition of Extra Innings. When we return, we will hear from Eugenio Suarez as he sits down with our Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer prior to the first homestand at T-Mobile Park in 2022. Good vibes only. Those are the only vibes allowed with Eugenio Suarez. We take a listen next. This is Curtis Rogers. You're listening to Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Seattle Sports app. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Pitch, here she comes. Swing and a fly ball deep into the gap. In right center field, going and going and goodbye baseball. An opposite field, two-run blast off the bat of Eugenio Suarez. His second home run of the season. Three RBIs on the night, and the Mariners now lead the Astros 11-1. to That home run was massive to the opposite field. Eugenio Suarez, one of the best power bats in baseball over the last couple of years. What has been the key to his emergence in Major League Baseball as a power bat that should always be accounted for in a lineup. What made him so attractive to the Mariners this offseason as they acquired him and Jesse Winker in a trade with the Cincinnati Reds? Well, Eugenio Suarez, known for his catchphrase, good vibes only. He visits with our Shannon Dreyer prior to this homestand to talk about that as well. It's just his journey in baseball. I always remember my first my first step on the baseball field was with my daddy. I remember we walked by the, the ballpark and I saw the kids. This is my dad always told me this history. I walk about, about by the field and I tell my my dad like, hey dad, I want to be like those guys. I it, That looks good, that looks fine. Uh, they, like uh, they enjoy it. I just want to do it one day. So my dad look at me and say, really? And, he, and I say, yeah. So he went like, Okay, let's play baseball. Me and you together. I I, I want to show you how you how to catch a ball, how to throw a ball. I, I was five years old when when that when that happened. This is my dad told me this history every time, and and I remember my first my first throw was with my dad on the baseball field, and I got that in my mind for I think for the rest of my life. So that's my first mem- baseball memory that I have. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, you see that all the time now. Kids, you drive by fields, we fly over fields. What do you think when you see them? I always see a kids. They always ask for signing. I, I love kids. I love kids. And I have two, two, two daughters. And, and I, they always, when they always watch me play, they always yelling at me, mm. daddy, daddy. And I love that, you know, mm. because I feel like that was me when I was young. And you see around the, uh, in the field, you when you see those kids ask for baseball or signing, whatever it is, photo, whatever. I, I just remember when I was young that I want to be 
a baseball player, and maybe they they think like that way too, you know. And 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 that's that's great. That's great when you see kids on the field mm -hmm. watching us play baseball. It's a big honor to be a, a baseball player for me. Yeah. When did you have an idea that you know what I could do this? You know, I always. I mean, I grew up playing baseball, mm -hmm. but uh, the real when I think the baseball for real, like I told my my parents, like I wanna I wanna be a professional baseball player. It was when I was when I was 14 years old that I start like taking the baseball serious. Like I wanna play like professional baseball. I wanna sign. One of my friends signed signed with the uh, Toronto Blue Jay like before me and I told my dad I want I want to play baseball I want to sign it I want I want to be a professional baseball player and from that 2000 I, I was two, uh 14 years old and from that I just start playing like you know I went to the academy mm -hmm. and uh, start play more like serious baseball and and I take that for for real and and I signed it when I was 17, so it took me three years to sign the baseball. Oh, so you're persistent with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, so I started playing for real when I was like, mm -hmm. you know, I always play baseball. We had a team, like like travel team mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But I, when, I take it serious when, when I was 14 that I told my dad and my mom that I want to be a professional baseball player. So. Did you watch games? Did you have a favorite player? Yes, I do. Actually, my my ba my favorite baseball player is Omar Vizquel. Hmm. I grew up watching him play shortstop. My okay. that was my original. Uh, me, I play. I grew up in in and I my first when I got called was as a shortstop. So mm -hmm. I always I always play shortstop. So yeah, Omar was my 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 favorite player. Yeah, definitely a big hero back home. Yes, I'm I know sure. that. Now, I was looking at where you were born, and I, I forgot what it was called, but I thought I saw a porta in the, you were born, you're, you're from near the sea, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, bo I, born, I, I mean, I born in Puerto Ordaz, uh -huh. in Venezuela, uh, it's close to the water, mm -hmm. to uh, Puerto La Cruz, mm -hmm. and, you know, I, that's why I like the beach, you know, we, we I, I like to be in the water, so. Okay. Do you like to fish? Do you like to swim? I like boating? I like a fishing. I like a fishing a uh -huh. lot. Yeah. When yeah, one of my 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 when I got free time back in Venezuela when mm -hmm. I live in there, me and my brothers always go fish. Okay. We always went to fishing and 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 yeah, that's what that one thing I like to do. Fishing. You have a, a big fish story? I don't think I got a big <laughs> one. I, I mean, I'm not really good one, but uh, I got I got. You know, not medium, medium side, not mm -hmm. a big one. My my brother, my younger brother, he's definitely he always, almost every weekend he goes fishing. So oh, okay. he's very good. He's better than me. So would you be up for like some uh, northwest, like some salmon fishing or yeah. some fly fishing or some? I bass? mean, we we got bass in okay. Venezuela, my hometown. Uh -huh. We got bass, so that's that's pretty much we got in there. Yeah. All right, there's some fisher fisher people up in, yeah. in the Seattle area. You might be able yeah. to sneak out. On okay, I, like, I would love point. to do it. Yeah, <laughs> we know some, some people. <laughs> yeah, I would do, I would love to do it at some point. I, I get here the first time I got here in, in Seattle, the clubhouse. Everybody, you know, mm -hmm. like open hands. Mm -hmm. They they give me, you know, like I feel like I might. I feel the real feeling like when when you you get somewhere and they love you and they like you, they want you, and and for me that's that's all. I, the game is always gonna be the game. Mm -hmm. That never changes. Yeah, I, I give it. I give my I, I give it my best to Cincinnati. They give me the best to me, to my family. 
But it is what it is, and now I represent Marina Seattle. Yeah. So you came up in the Tigers organization, uh-huh. and uh, I looked at your first club, and man, you had some players on that club. Yeah, you know, my, my first year in 14, we got a Tony Horner in left field. We got Austin Jackson in, in center field. We got um, J.D. Martinez in right field, Miguel first, uh, first, Victor Martinez, D.A.s, Ian Kiesler, mm-hmm. you know, all those guys, uh, Pishing, we got Verlander, yeah. we got Mark Cherse, yeah. Aníbal Sánchez, David Price. So we got pretty good. I mean, I was the younger guy on the mm-hmm. team, the rookie guy. And I learned so much from them, the way they work in, the way mm-hmm. they prepare to the game. And I think that that was very awesome, very awesome when I got that call up. I can't believe it because, you know, I wasn't, I, I don't wasn't that, that, that big prospect. So I just play my 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 way i play hard every time and and you know be available to play with those guys future hall of famous for me it's it's awesome you know yeah. and and yeah that was a great memory by my first year in big leagues maggie's got to be one of the most popular players in the game i've never any time oh yeah of, go of there. course he is- i think he's the biggest <laughs> i mean for sure he's the biggest uh, venezuelan player in yeah. league, you know so yeah uh, see me, you know, learn working with him and 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 see how how he doing and 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 bigly for me is unbelievable. Yeah, he's a, a great person. Really yeah, appreciate really him a lot. Too, yeah. yeah, and now you're here and you can do so much for this team. Yes, it's you, you look at the numbers and you see crazy home runs and you mm-hmm. look at some years and there's some strikeouts too. And then I watch you and I'm like. You're very hitterish. <laughs> you, you know, you, yeah. you, you know how to hit, yeah. and you know how to take a walk, and mm-hmm. you have had some very good seasons. When you are at your best, who are you at the plate? What, do, what are you trying to do? When I'm my best, I just try to put a ball in play. Mm-hmm. Use, I just want to use the middle way field, mm-hmm. or, or use the old field. I don't, I don't want to try homers hit a homers every time all my sabbat mm-hmm. I never think about hitting homers I know that I can't hit a ball out of the field and I can't hit a homers and but I, I don't I don't try I don't try to hit homers mm-hmm. I just don't want to strike out I just want to I you know if you the last last two years my strikeout were saying get high maybe it's just because I maybe try to hit more hard that I can, but uh, it's not my game. My game is put a ball in play, mm-hmm. use the middle away. I know I, when I got the, my, my, when I got the power to hit a homer, so mm-hmm. everybody know that, but you know, when I'm at my best, that's what I try to, in, right now in a spring train, I don't wanna, I, I don't try to strike out. I don't wanna strike out much like last two years, but this year my goal is not, you know, Put my, my strikeout percent down, then mm-hmm. you know, put a ball in play the most I can and see what happens in the end of the season. Mm-hmm. That's You're it. a hitter who hits home runs. Yes, I, yeah, I know. First, you, then if it goes absolutely, out, it goes I know. Out. I, yes, yeah. absolutely. It's yeah. like, like that 100%. I know that I, when I hit a ball good in the air, mm-hmm. I, I got a chance to hit a home run everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's pretty much what I want this year. All right. The last question for you. What are you most excited about in starting the season with the Mariners? I just can't wait the fans. I, I, I want to see the fans support us. We got a really good group. We got a really good team. And, and 
our mentality is just make a position and then go by step by step and winning the ring for for a city that just have a they hungry for for uh for that ring they hungry for a world series and and that's 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 what the more important to me right now it just i just can't wait to put everything together see the lights on and play baseball in seattle looking forward to it how are the vibes good vibes only <laughs> That was Eugenio Suarez sitting down with our Mariners insider, Shannon Dreyer. Friday, April 22nd is Mariners Puffy Vest Night. The first 10,000 fans to T-Mobile Park will instantly upgrade their wardrobe with a Mariners logoed Puffy Vest. It's dark gray with a teal S on the left side. That game opens the Mariners series against the Kansas City Royals. It's also college night that night, too. Up next, what does Ryan Roland Smith think of the starts by Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick? We'll take a listen to what he said this morning with Mike Salk on the Mike Salk Show. More to come. I'm Curtis Rogers. You are listening to Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and seattlesports.com. You are listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. So much of this Mariners team feels new, which is interesting because there's a lot of roster turnover from last year. Not a ton of the Mariners' 28-man opening day this year is is new in a sense that they're, this is the first time with their organization. But it feels like the personalities on this team are a breath of fresh air. It feels like everything has kind of changed over as the Mariners have done away with the older teams that were here five, six, seven years ago. And have injected a lot of youth onto this roster. And with youth comes you know, a ton of personality. We see it every night on display with Julio Rodriguez smiling, that 1,000-watt smile of his. We see Jared Kelnick's fiery personality and, and just how intense he is. We see it in guys, the confidence of Matt Brash, who, uh, boy, he has never met a, a moment so far on the mound uh, that he has shied away from. Logan Gilbert, he's got a quiet confidence about him. Uh, there is just such a a vibe of this team, and we just heard from Eugenio Suarez, who I think obviously his bat, his power bat, is something that the Mariners have desired, especially with Kyle Seager retiring this offseason and the team choosing to not re-sign him. But also, he is a guy that has been around the game for a long time. He has been a tremendous clubhouse leader in his time in Cle- or in his time in Cincinnati, I should say. Same with Jesse Winker. Uh, who you know doesn't have necessarily the major league experience that Suarez does, but both of those guys were brought in to I think set the tone of the clubhouse. They were brought in to become the guys that when things go tough, and I think Sergio Romo was a guy as well before he went on the injured list. Uh, was a guy who the Mariners brought in as look look to that guy when things aren't going your way. Look to that to that guy. He can show you how to maneuver and how to navigate the ins and outs, the ups and downs of a Major League Baseball season. See, Trent Rosecrans of The Athletic, he joined Jake and Stacey earlier uh, in the month of March following the trade that brought Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez to the Mariners. And he talked about just the kind of guys these people are. And he said that it's rare for fans and media to be in agreement on how much they like players, and that was the case with Winker and Suarez in Cincinnati. There's a lot of players that, you know, a lot of times you'll have a great 
divide between what the fans feel for a player and what the media feels for them. I don't think that's the case with Jesse Winker and a Eugenio Suarez. You're talking about two just supremely positive, happy people. Some of the conversations I've had with them have been more about things like fatherhood than about baseball. They are, I think one of the reasons that the Reds fans are feeling so terrible about this trade is not the players that Reds fans have lost, but the people that Reds fans have lost. And as we heard earlier in Extra Innings, Jesse Winker endearing himself to Mariners fans, calling T-Mobile Park an electric factory, doing so in a, in a profane manner, which uh, got everybody fired up, including Mike Lefko, who was doing that interview with him down on the field following the game. Always funny to hear the play-by-play of that moment uh, from the first home game of the 2022 season. Ryan Roland-Smith, who has been a part of this Mariners organization for more than a decade now as a player and now as a broadcaster, he has seen so many players come and go and so many personalities come and go. What does he make of this Mariners team in 2022, and, and how different does it feel in 2022 compared to when he played in Seattle, where they weren't necessarily contenders, they weren't necessarily teams that were fighting for playoff spots, how does he feel about this ball club, this version of the Seattle Mariners? He joined Mike Salk earlier today, and this is what he had to say. When yeah. you see a guy like Eugenio Suarez and you see Jesse Winker and the way these guys communicate and Julio, and Ka- it really is 180 degrees different from what we saw 10 years ago. Uh, 100%. And you know, a couple things on that. First of all, like when you go into that first road trip and you know, you got two guys, Suarez and Jesse Winker, who they, they seem like characters, right? And, and they go into that first road trip and then they come back and it's a home opener. And you want these guys to walk in and, and you, you're, you're, you reference a couple names from, from years ago. You want a situation where when they come here to the ballpark, especially on a Friday night, and this exists, by the way, too. You want these guys, when they're coming from new teams, especially via a trade, you want them to walk in and go, oh, man, there is no better place than this. Like, uh, there's been times where you have a you know, big acquisition, they get off to a rough start, and then they start sort of pointing fingers or they start looking around, you know, thinking, oh, well, back when I was with this team or that team, we did this or did that, especially you know, around 4 o'clock in the afternoon during batting practice. But when you listen to Jesse Winker after that Friday night game, you know, how amped up he was. As well. he, Look, he got off to a rough start. You can see some of the frustration. We saw that yesterday, you know, a couple of the, the mistakes he missed. But when you hear the energy from these guys, how excited they are to be here, it just speaks volumes, man. So I think that's a big, big factor because a lot of the young guys look up to players like, you know, Suarez or, or Jesse Winker, especially even if even if they're coming from another team. So that, that that's a that's a big one, and and that is something that you want to that energy, not just opening day. Once you get into late May into June, then when it starts to warm up, you hit some you know ten game skids, which this team will do. Mm-hmm. That's just how it works. You want these guys to, to have that kind of energy and that influence on, on some of the younger players. How much have they lengthened this lineup from last year? A bunch. And, you know, first of all, you go back to last year, and obviously the, the, the big point, the big you know, sticking point was the 7 8 9. You, you'd roll into the 7th, 8th, and 9th uh, hitters, and you're thinking, well, okay, I, I don't really have to do a whole lot. If I'm pitching against that kind of lineup, it's, it, it's kind of. Yeah, not a break, but basically it's a it's a real uh, weak link because you can pitch around that fifth guy and that sixth guy, whatever it is, and then get to some guys who are really scuffling, and it was one after the next. 
So you mentioned those two two players. Obviously, that lengthens the lineup. But I think too, one guy that you tend to forget about who is such a big impact because of the contact he makes, and that's Adam Fraser. Now he he was off to a little bit of a slow start, but you could see that that was not going to last, and you could see it this weekend. When you have him at the top of that lineup, all of a sudden you can push a JP down to the, the the bottom part of the lineup. Now that is not something. And again, I want to just make sure we're clear on this. This is not like, oh yeah, JP belongs at the bottom of a lineup. He doesn't. He's such a good hitter and a tough out. But man, when you can get a guy like that, a left-handed bat down the, in, in amongst that seventh, eighth, and ninth, it just takes so much pressure off the other guys, and you can create parts where you just one through nine as a pitcher. There's just no holes, no weak links that you can pitch around this guy to get to a certain batch of hitters that you can you can handle. So, Ryan, I mean, obviously you pitched in this league. Uh, we're seeing right now Julio Rodriguez, I think, has seen the most breaking balls of any player in the entire game. Jared Kelnick, right. I believe, is in the top 15 on that list as well. What does it tell you that they're seeing that many breaking balls? Well, I think, first of all, Julio Rodriguez, I think it's a... It's something where, and this is no joke too, I mean, you don't have a big scattering port on, on the kids. Like, where you dive into not just pitch selection, but, you know, in or out or up or down, or, you know, pitch patterning and stuff like that. So you go into it kind of by default saying, well, okay, he's going to be free swinging. He's a young player. All right, I'm going to go to this secondary stuff a little bit earlier. Now, Jared Kelnick, I think with Jared Kelnick, and you're slowly starting to see this, he has to earn a little bit more of a uh, earn to get those fastballs. What I mean by that, it's not something where, all right, I'm 2-0. I know this kid's going to swing. Like Darrell Cotton, for perfect example, back with the Twins series, who has a really good changeup. 2-0, boom, I'm just going to get a changeup right here, and he's going to swing right through it. If, if this is a situation as one pitch per at-bat where they can, they can lay off or they can just not even lift the bat off their shoulders and give that reaction, all of a sudden, okay, now I have to pitch to this guy just a little bit more. Julio Rodriguez is starting to get a little bit more of that. You're starting to see a little bit more of challenging against him because he's being a little bit more patient and getting better better pitches to hit. Mm. When you see Jared Kelnick, who you know at the end of the series here hit that ball into left field, okay, the, the scattering report tends to change a little bit. So once they start earning that that situation where if you slip behind an account or it's something where you have to be in the strike zone, you'll start to see more fastballs. And I think, listen, Julio Rodriguez, man, I mean, it's so exciting to watch this kid hit. He's there is he's days away from being absolutely dialed in where you're going to see some hard hit balls consistently. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Uh, last thing for you here, I want to talk about Matt Brash because you know obviously the stuff is filthy. Can command slash control can that develop over time? Yeah, I think you know. I, look, I think his command is fine. Yesterday, you know, six walks, he struggled. He did not have feel for his pitches. At all. And I want to do a two comparisons, and this is no disrespect to a couple of the guys we saw last year, but I was driving home thinking about this after the game. If you have, let's say, Justin Dunn stuff, and you have that kind of command, which we saw, you know, lack in command last year from, from a, say, a Justin Dunn, a young pitcher. All right, then you, you, you start to sort of think to yourself, huh, this could be a big issue. But when you have that kind of stuff with that slide, with that, those two breaking balls and that 97 up in the strike zone, you, the, the margin for error is a lot less. And I think for, for Matt Brash, if you want him to go through these situations where he loses that command or, or he gets caught up in the game, the game speeds up, have it happen right now. Have it happen early in April. So you can, you can figure this stuff out by, the end of, by, the end, by mid-May or at the end of May. 
he has these little mechanical cues he can go back to. The game starts to slow down, and then he can get on a really good run once you get to June, July, August. So I think when you see this kind of inconsistency, have it happen right now. And I think that him and Pete Woodworth can you know, dial it in in between starts. But I just think, man, stuff-wise, he the margin for error is so different compared to if he was pumping in you know, 92s, 93s with a little bit less of a, of a breaking ball. That was Ryan Roland-Smith. You can catch that full conversation on the Mike Salk Show page on seattlesports.com. You can also listen to the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. And make sure you are subscribing to Extra Innings. We have got one more segment with you, a segment I like to call Pepper. We're going to take a look at some of the biggest headlines, not just here with the Mariners, but across Major League Baseball. We'll do some rapid fire to finish it out here on this Monday night. Do not go anywhere. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Extra Innings. You are listening to Seattle Sports Station on 710 and seattlesports.com. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Welcome back into Extra Innings. I'm Curtis Rogers. Really appreciate you making this a part of your Monday evening, whether you're listening live or downloading the podcast, wherever it is you get your podcasts. I really appreciate you joining me. We'll be back next Monday as the Mariners have another off day. But let's take a look around the game of baseball with some pepper. We're going to rapid fire some headlines at you. Let's start in Arlington yesterday. The team that the Mariners are taking on tomorrow, the Texas Rangers, they're 2-7 and seven on the season. Lost a series against the Angels, but the Angels, maybe even with a bigger loss, Mike Trout leaving yesterday's game after being hit in his left hand by a pitch. The team did say that x-rays were negative. And the three-time American League MVP is day-to-day. Trout struck by a 1-1 slider from Rangers righty Spencer Patton in the fifth inning. Boy, I mean, Mike Trout is about as essential to any team's roster, maybe still the best player in baseball, uh, even after two seasons of not a full season, 2020 obviously being the shortened season, and then last year Trout missing the majority of the year. You do not want to see the game's very best Miss time, and especially a player like Trout in his prime. And these are some prime seasons that hopefully he is able to make up for because uh, the game is much better when he's playing. Unfortunately for Mariners fans, we are usually on the other end of his greatness a lot of times. Uh, but look, the game is better with him playing. Unfortunately, the Angels uh, are also better with him playing as they also have him and Shohei Otani. But we want to see everybody, everybody healthy, including the superstars of the game. Speaking of superstars and their health, Ronald Acuna expects to start a rehab assignment soon for the Atlanta Braves. He has missed nearly a full year. Last year, he was injured on July 10th, uh, missed the rest of the season, 82 games. He had 24 home runs, and a lot of people thought Atlanta's season was going to take a dive. Obviously, that didn't happen as they won the World Series. Hopefully he will come back just as strong, just as great as he was prior to that injury because he is one of the game's very best young players, 24 years old, just an incredible talent. Uh, Obviously, his comments about a week or so ago on Freddie Freeman got a lot of airtime. You kind of wonder just how the Braves made it work if they're two super-duper star players. We're not seeing eye-to-eye on a lot of things, but we'll see Ronald Acuna back in that Braves lineup. Obviously, Freeman moving on to the L.A. Dodgers this past offseason. Got to wonder 
what that reunion is going to be like if or what when the Dodgers and Braves meet at some point this season. Elsewhere in baseball, let's go to Japan. Now, look, this guy may be a few years away from coming over to the States, but boy, oh boy, Roki Sasaki, remember the name, 20 years old, in his first start of the season, or second start of this 2022 season, he threw a perfect game. The first in professional baseball in Japan since 1994. He's 20 years old, by the way. Threw a perfect game. Congrats to him. You want to know how he followed it up? He pitched eight perfect innings his very next start. This guy has thrown 17 consecutive perfect innings in two starts. Johnny Vandermeer rolling over in his grave, figuring out, oh, is this guy coming for my records? Yeah, it's in Japan, but this guy is oozing talent. Through four starts this season, Sasaki has a 1.16 ERA, 56 strikeouts. He's allowed seven hits and two walks in just 31 innings pitch. He's allowed nine base runners in 31 innings. He is a starter. This guy is lighting up the record book in Japan. He had 19 strikeouts in his perfect game. He had 14 in his near-perfect game. He was pulled after the eight innings. He threw 102 pitches. It was a tie ball game at that point. So maybe there was some concern about the game going into extra innings. But boy, oh boy, this guy has scouts drooling right now. It's got me drooling. I mean, look, if you're a baseball fan and you're looking at the next superstar to come from Japan, and Seiya Suzuki off to a tremendous start for the Cubs this season, you've got you know Shohei Otani and what he's done with the Angels being MVP a year ago, really changing the game of baseball now, I don't know if Roki Sasaki is going to be to that level of super-duper star, but remember the name. He's only 20 years old, and he's thrown near-consecutive perfect games, 17 consecutive innings. It's just mind-blowing to me uh, that a pitcher can can do that at any level in baseball, let alone one of the highest levels in all of the game in Japan. Shout-out to him, and, and shout-out to uh, Japanese baseball fans who are able to watch him on a day-to-day basis because that is going to be a lot of fun watching him just emerge as one of the very best in all of baseball. You know, like take a look at some power rankings, some interesting ones across the media world in Major League Baseball. Let's take a look at CBS Sports because right now the Mariners – not too shabby. Not too shabby. The Mariners ranking 10th in CBS Sports. They have this to say. They say, look, no excuses fly in the standings. But between the seven road games and the cold, rainy weather and several day games mixed in, the Mariners had a tough start to the season. They came home and took two of three from the Astros. And the two wins were emphatic instead of run one-run squeakers. There's reason for optimism. CBS Sports, uh, whoever the... Uh, Matt Snyder is who is in charge of compiling these rankings. Number one, he has the L.A. Dodgers. Number two is the San Francisco Giants. Number three, the New York Mets. We don't see an American League team appear until number four. That'd be the Toronto Blue Jays, the White Sox, a team that the Mariners have already faced, number five. The Astros at six. So of American League teams, the Mariners are fifth. The Angels are ahead of them at nine right now. They went five and one last week. So a very interesting rankings there on CBSSports.com. Obviously, if you are a Mariners fan and you see the number 10 next to your team, that's encouraging because, as we know, 
12 teams make the playoffs this year across Major League Baseball. There's going to be more play-in games. There's going to be more opportunities for playoff baseball across across the game. If you're like me, in the 90s, starting lineup figurines were huge. They were one of the great collectibles out there. We've seen them kind of pop up every now and then. Uh, it was a great way for kids to get more memorabilia of their superstars. I'm geeking out about this because after a 21-year hiatus, Hasbro, the company that created the starting lineup figures, they're diving back in and bringing those figures back. I remember I had a collection of I, uh, probably more than 50 of them. My, my mom and dad probably still have a, a Rubbermaid tub that has a few of them in there. And you are going to see the game's current stars. And they were very cheap back then. I think they were only just like, you know, five or ten bucks. Uh, we've seen the sports memorabilia game blow up over the last few years. And we're now going to see starting lineup figurines back. I, I am a nerd, a sports nerd for sure. And I imagine if you're listening to Sports Talk Radio at this hour, you too are a bit nerdy in your sports fandom. We can geek out together with starting lineup figures. Yeah, I'm, I'm still a kid at heart. Who, who cares? Uh, get this. Today is the 15th anniversary of one of the more infamous moments in baseball fandom. That's right. Fenway Park lifelong Red Sox fan Dan Kelly went to a game. He was escorted out by security, unfortunately, after he threw a slice of pizza at a fan. That's right, 2007, on this day, Dan Kelly, who has gone on to become one of the heroes of the internet, saw a fan drop an easy pop fly in in the stands of Fenway Park, and he chucked his slice of pizza at the guy for missing the foul ball. Respect. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it was probably a three, four dollar slice of pizza. <laughs> the the way he was able to just wing it at the guy, very, very funny. Uh, I will always remember that video clip going around and just a cr- tremendous, tremendous uh, viral moment that still lives on years later. Also in Major League Baseball, I want to send our best to Toronto Blue Jays broadcaster Buck Martinez, who will be taking some time off, stepping away from the broadcast booth. He begins cancer treatment this week and it could last for a little while. That's according to a statement released by Buck Martinez. He says, I'm grateful for a tremendous medical team who has given me great optimism that I'll come through with flying colors. I hope to rejoin my Sportsnet teammates for the stretch run later this season. But in the meantime, I'll be watching from the sidelines as I fight the good fight. Uh, We give our very best to him as well. Uh, I, I mean, a baseball lifer for sure. He did... ESPN Baseball Tonight for a lot of years, joining the Blue Jays broadcast after that. Uh, we give our very best to him as he fights cancer and hopefully is successful. Fingers crossed for him. Prayers up for him as well. Uh, we continue to look at the world of Major League Baseball. Now, Fernando Tatis Jr. is out for quite a while, at least until the month of June. He starts the season on the 60-day injured list after sustaining a broken left wrist in a motorcycle crash in the Dominican Republic. Now, we don't know which motorcycle crash Fernando Tatis Jr. 
was referring to because when asked about it during the spring training, uh, you know, prior to spring training, he responded, which motorcycle crash? So that's not the answer we're looking for, Fernando. Now, prior to San Diego's Sunday night game against Atlanta yesterday, Fernando Tatis filmed prior to the game with his Padres teammates in a casual game of soccer. He's got a cast on that wrist that is healing up. And look, the guys are getting a little rowdy there, slide tackling each other. And Padres fans not exactly pleased seeing him take a tumble and seeing him potentially put himself at further risk for injury. Look, Fernando Tatis, you are a, what, $340 million investment to the San Diego Padres? It's okay to sit these meaningless activities out. The Padres themselves should probably sit him down and say, hey, look, we have invested way too much money into you. We do not need you putting yourself at risk. That is going to do it for me here tonight. Thank you so much for joining me on Extra Innings. We will be back next Monday for the very next edition of this. If you missed any of these last two hours, download the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. For Brandon Gustafson, Mark McLemore, I'm Curtis Rogers. Thank you so much for tuning in.